Welcome to the J&J Connection Podcast. I'm Jesse. And I'm Jordan. Today, we'll be talking to our first return guest, Rachel. Hello again. About her experience being Asian American in the United States. Fact of the day. Titanosaur? <laughs> yep. I, I, Sorry, I, there was a bug. I, I, I looked up earlier on how to say these other words, and I forgot how to say Titanosaur. Alright. Hmm. Nailed it. The Pokemon? <laughs> That's it. Fact of the day. Titanosaur Argentinosaurus Huincalensis, which is the largest dinosaur known from uncontroversial evidence, is estimated to have been... 50 to 96 metric tons and 30 to 39 meters, which is 98 to 130 feet long. And it's about one third as long as a football field. What does that mean? Uncontroversial evidence. So like they have, they have some of the, of the fossils of the bones of it. They just don't have it all. So they can't build it, but they can like estimate like, okay, so by this bone density or whatever, this was probably this big. Oh, I see, I see. Because sure someone's tried to fake dinosaurs as well. Yeah, there, like there the was government. There was another dinosaur that I was looking at, that um they have fully completed and I think it was like sixty or seventy feet long, and I was like, there's definitely a bigger dinosaur than that. Hmm. I there like is... how. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. You go ahead, Jordan. I like how in the uh, fact of the day notes you have written uh, that however many metric tons can also be uh, translated to 55.1 to 106.3 short tons. Like that's any, but like that's that, a... that, 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 this was a copy and paste. <laughs> okay. Short tons. Is that just like, like are tons normally me- measured like vertically and this is like horizontally? Like, what does that mean? I'm, I think short tons is two thousand pound, where two thousand pounds, whereas metric tons is two thousand two hundred, which is a thousand kilograms. I thought it was I just completely stuffy. blanked out everything you just said, Jordan. That's all okay. right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just stuff in your shorts full of stuff. That's it, <laughs> Rachel. Yeah, Rachel. What's up? Welcome back. Thank you. The I'm first. glad that you're willing to have me back. Does Amy not count? Because um, you had her on twice. Did we? Also, fun fact, Birds Aren't Real website, they're having like a special if she really wants to order a shirt from there. Yes. It's like free shipping and stickers and something like that, but I haven't placed my order yet. Her birthday's coming up, so I have to, I'll have to get on that. I don't Just think get her a third cat. <laughs> I don't think Amy counts... Uh double guess because she the second time wasn't oh i guess it was it's conspiracy theories eh, it was yeah but that wasn't what are you really, trying to hide jesse that wasn't really a guest thing oh because she lives with jordan it doesn't count yeah yeah it doesn't count that's an ex- she's an extension of jordan so <laughs> we are one <laughs> i just have you seen those like getting along sweaters <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just it's funny because like amy is so short <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Oh, man. Okay, so we need to get into this. So this is... Uh, how do I introduce this podcast or this episode? This episode... I'll do it for you. Uh, go for it. <laughs> go for it. Uh, so for those of you who don't remember, I'm Rachel. I was on a couple episodes ago to talk about anime. Um, and Jordan and Jesse invited me back uh, to talk a little bit about my experiences growing up in America and living in America as a, a Chinese-American woman. Yep. Yeah, so... Uh, so oh. <laughs> oh, I was going to say disclaimer. Um, my experiences are not universal. And depending on who you talk to, they might have different opinions about what I'm going to say. Um, but I kind of just wanted to talk with Jordan and Jesse about um, how different it really is growing up when you have a different ethnicity than the ma majority. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. there's a stunning lack of racial diversity on this podcast of two people. And I wonder so, whose fault that is. It's probably uh, Jordan's. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, but so I was my, oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was talking with my boyfriend last night about this, and I was like, "Yeah, my friends like uh, offered to let me be on their podcast again," and he was like, "Oh, what are you going to talk about?" And I was like, "Oh, I'm going to talk about like being an ethnic person growing up in America, um, you know." And it's just going to be me and two white dudes, <laughs> and he was like. <laughs> Of course they're white. They started a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean too true. yeah, <laughs> too true. Uh, yeah. So I, neither or neither of us have been, uh, steeped in like, I, I guess for us, it doesn't come to the front of our minds until situations like what has happened happen. And then we sort of all have to get on board with, uh, the experiences of other people mm -hmm. even though it's very clear that like we were we were brought into this sort of unwillingly whereas you know as a person who is a minority you're living that reality every single day and obviously it varies from place to place and person to person but as far as that any type of discrimination in that way or not even discrimination just different life experience we have none like we are we're the majority and uh we have a what everyone would, or what white people, I guess, would consider as an average experience of life, and that excludes a lot of things that is very prevalent in other people's lives. So, right, mm -hmm. in an effort to sort of broaden broaden our experience, uh, uh, this is a, this is a good conversation to be having. Yeah, and I mean, like Jesse and Jordan and I have actually talked about this topic uh, before. Um, and then when the George Floyd incident happened and, like, those tensions were running high and it's kind of like, this is, like, not the time for me to talk. Because uh, that is, the like, the very sad truth is that of all the minorities in America, African Americans are the most oppressed. Um, and, like, this really is their time to have their voices heard, you know, after history and years of 
being mistreated. So, like, it was, it's one of those things where it's kind of like, it's not the time, but we also don't want it to come across as like, oh, we're cap trying to capitalize on that either. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like, because the other thing, um, I don't know how much, like, you guys have been talking about it, but um, when George Floyd was killed, the partner of that officer is Asian. Um, and so in Asian communities, there's like, there was like a lot of discourse about that because like there were a lot of people that were saying like, we don't claim that police officer, we don't claim him in our community, like he's wrong for like standing by. And it's like, you can't do that, you know, like mm-hmm. he, as much as I don't support his um, inactivity in that situation, that doesn't change the fact that he is part of my community, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, uh there's like african-american and like asians we have our own kind of racial tensions Mm -hmm. um so i don't want to make so it's not just like oh only white people and black people people have issues together like they're like between all races there are issues you know um like even when like covid hit um there was a lot of tension because like some kind i don't remember i don't remember the specifics but like there were asian owned stores i believe i don't think it was america but i think it was like overseas Mm -hmm. where like they were told like don't let tourists in especially don't let like african-american tourists in and there was like a huge debate about like that like we are just as capable of being racist and practicing racism as a white male in the deep south of america is you know so um again like this isn't like uh oh black people are suffering and asian people are suffering too this is just like ev- all minorities have a different experience in this country um and some of it is parallel some of it is really different and that's really just like what we wanted to talk about right mm-hmm. All right. Well, so <laughs> in, the, in the effort of sort of laying a uh, laying a background here, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, just I want now I don't know what to say. Um, how how you were or how you came to um, Let's start at the beginning. Holy cow! I got this. <laughs> I got this. I had to think for a second. Okay, so we're going to get into some deep, hard stuff. And I hope anyone who's listening just kind of has an open mind and they can learn a little bit about this and try to understand uh, different ethnicities in America. So, that being said, Rachel, um, why don't you give us a bit of, of your background on, because like we can see that uh, your parents, they actually came from Hong Kong. Yeah, so my parents uh, both grew up in Hong Kong when it was still um, under British rule, um, and they actually kind of grew up together. Um, we don't have to like get into their whole story, but eventually what happened was um, they got uh, opportunities to come to America for grad school, um, and they both ended up picking upstate New York, uh, and pursued their masters um and then my mom pursued her phd uh, and they had my sister in like the late 80s or hold on 
I should know my sister's birthday. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's mm. it's like late like late eighties, mid to late eighties, and then I was born in like the mid nineties, um, and so we, me and my sister grew up completely in New York, uh, in America, um, and it was really unique for my parents because. Um, so we were like first generation Americans basically in our family. Right. Um, my mom is one of four and my dad's one of seven or eight. Um, and we were the only members of our family living outside of Hong Kong up to a certain point. Oh, wow. um, my mom's oldest sister used to like lived in LA for a while, um, but they moved back around 2013, um, their family moved back to Hong Kong, um, because my uncle was starting a business there, a new business there, um, and then on my dad's side of the family, um, his youngest brother lives in Toronto, and then his youngest sister lives up in Vancouver, but then, like, everyone else lives in Hong Kong, um, and it was, it was like kind of unusual because um, the family actually, like when my sister was born and then when I was born, they were like, oh, like you should like move back to Hong Kong and like you should raise the kids here because there's family and like you'll have the support um, and all this stuff. But my parents made the decision to stay in America, which you have to keep in mind that like back then there was no iPhones, there was no like Skype, mm-hmm. there was mm-hmm. like you would you had to buy um those international calling cards where mm, like you would mm, go like to the yep. store and there was like a little like credit card with all these international numbers and they like charged you per minute you were on the phone like so it was like a big deal that my parents didn't move back and raise us there because i think all of my cousins had an element of like even like, even when Janice was born, I think, who was the daughter of my aunt that lived in L.A. for a while, she spent, like, her early childhood in Hong Kong, and then I think they moved out to L.A., but, hmm. yeah, so, um, there was, it was, it was, like, very strange, because, like, for me and my sister, um, like, normally when you have a family that, uh, is raising their kids in America, they put a big emphasis on the culture at home and then like you kind of learn American culture at school and stuff. And we did have that, but my parents um, weren't super strict. Um, my, like in terms of what pe- stereotypes of like Asian American parents are, my parents are really relaxed, you know? Um, and so they never, like they didn't force us to learn Chinese. Um, so, like, I'm not fluent in Chinese, in Cantonese, um, but, like, my parents speak it around home, so, like, they can ask me a question in Chinese, and I can just, like, reply in English, but, um, it's very rudimentary. It's, like, kind of when, like, you're in a Spanish class, and you're, like, just coasting, Mm -hmm. and you, like, don't want to put the effort in, but, like, you know enough that you can, like, pass the class. It's kind of like that, um, and that was, like, really hard, because of my entire family, like, both sides, me and my sister are the only ones that can't speak Chinese fluently. So, like, when we go home, like, when we visit people in Hong Kong, or, like, even when we go to Canada, because our relatives in Canada live in very Chinese-heavy communities, um, 
it's kind of awkward because like we can't we can't like completely connect with them right. you know mm-hmm. um and so like i guess like it's kind of flowing into the next topic point we have on here but like so there is just like this weird you're kind of in this weird in between of like i identify as american but like i don't really know what it is to be like chinese mm. you know um so, and, yeah Go so ahead. did they encourage you to like learn how to assimilate or did they um or did they was that culture if you if you chose to access it and pursue it were they going to encourage you in chinese culture or was that something they sort of that was there and now you're now you're here to be american um like my parents specifically so um my sister and i are like seven years apart and we have like two very different experiences growing up so like when my sister was growing up um so my sister was born and my parents were both about to start their phd programs and it was unexpected um you know and it's kind of like you're grad students you don't like have a lot of money and you're expecting a kid Mm -hmm. so the decision was that my mom would continue the phd and my dad entered the workforce and then he would circle back to the phd later Um, And so when it was just my sister, and that was the situation, my mom was like, my parents were very active. We weren't living in a Chinese community. We were living in a very white suburban neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, my parents uh, joined a a Christian Chinese church. And um, my mom taught at a Chinese school which were for kids like us, uh, where, like, she taught, like, how to read and write Chinese. And so, like, my sister went to that school and was taught by my mom. It's, like, a, it's kind of, like, an informal, like, tutoring setup, you know, okay. like, okay. it's not a formal school. Right. So mm-hmm. my sister had, like, more exposure. And then when I was born, it was just, like, things got busier, you know, my mom entered the part of her PhD where she was starting to write her dissertation, so, like, she was focusing on that, and, like, I think, like, we moved, so we weren't near that Chinese school anymore, and then, so, like, I had always been around Chinese culture, like, it was, like, on the weekends, almost, you know, Um, and our parents, like, they did their best to, like, keep the culture alive so like we celebrate the chinese holidays like lunar new year and like uh the spring moon and all that stuff um and like uh important things like that and like they explain to us like the importance of our culture and where they came from and like why we do this why we do that but it was never like very you know it's kind of like when you're really young and like all you understand about like thanksgiving is like your family gets together and eat a big meal it's like kind of like that like you don't really you can't you don't really grasp like the situation it's just like oh it's the time of year when like we go to the chinese church and have a big potluck you know what i mean yeah um Mm -hmm. but like they weren't there wasn't not until we were older there wasn't really a like they didn't want us to be part of America because they re- they understood, you know, that like we're living in a different country and like it's like you can't keep us segregated forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but like and, you know, I think 
a lot of like immigrant kids will tell you that like they end up having to be the bridge for their parents to America. So like um my there was some times when like my parents or my mom who struggles with English more than my dad like they're both very fluent they don't have an accent um but like my mom is always asking me like oh what does this word mean or like can you like grammar check my email because like I'm not sure if I worded it right um but like I have friends that like the parents would like have an issue with the phone company and my friend would be on the phone translating in real time for the parents you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so it's like so I think we had like a good mix of it Mm -hmm. but also that like we had a limited amount of Chinese culture so it is so I am predominantly American um and like for a long time because, like, when you're a kid, they always talk about, like, oh, America is, like, the great melting pot where anyone can come and be an American and, like, American doesn't, like, have a definition, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I always identified as American because, like, that's what I thought it was. But then, like, when I started growing up and I started noticing other things that I kind of like didn't know anymore because as I said like I'm like I don't know what it means to be Chinese and then like you look at the culture you're living in and you like don't see yourself represented a lot in media or the way you are represented in media you don't fit um or like what people say what people talk about your culture and you're like well I don't think that's really true but I don't know that much about my culture so maybe they are right so it's you get stuck in like like you have your like teenage like crisis identity of like who am i like emo mode but then you for minorities you also have your like cultural identity shock as well Mm -hmm. because i think i think i think all the minorities can agree that they remember the point at which they're like i am different Hmm. you know well yeah it's it's sort of The reason I ask about, like, your parents, like, not enforcing culture, but making you aware of culture is, like, very much the melting pot is this idea that you come and be American. But a part of that also was, whenever that started, that talk started, it was uh, white immigrants moving in, and people would be ostracized for being Italian or whatever. And it was easy enough for the parents to come and say, look, if they think you're Italian, they're going to beat you up. So you're going to be American here. And, you know, the melting pot works because you can just blend into the background because mm-hmm. on its face, unless I tell you, like, I like pierogies and sauerkraut, you can't, you don't know if I'm a German or a Pole or whatever until I tell you. But that's a very different situation for someone who looks different. Like, it's not like, it's not like your parents can talk you out of that. So you're sort of, you're sort of put at a disadvantage that way. And, like, so I guess this is a good time to talk about what white passing is or what racial passing is, since you Mm -hmm. brought it up a little bit. Um, So for those of you who don't know, um, white passing or racial passing is when you have someone that is of an ethnicity um, and they can pass as a different ethnicity. So since we're talking about America, which is predominantly white, white passing means that like i am asian american but i can pass as white 
and that's typically because like I don't have very strong Asian features like my eyes really aren't that slanted or narrow I don't have monolid eyes which is very common in um, most Asians um, like my hair is black but like it like you can kind of tell I don't know like how else to say it but like you can like look like you can like tell you can look at someone and tell like if the black hair is natural or not um Mm -hmm. you know and like I don't speak with an accent I don't even have a New York accent I don't think (laughs) um and like you know I'm not like super pale um I'm kind of like a neutral tone you know so like um like if you met me in the street you wouldn't be like that's an asian person you know but like if you asked if you asked me like oh are you chinese it would it would also be like a good guess you know Hmm. um and so like when you're white passing you experience a very different racial america um you know like obviously for like african americans or like latinos or hispanics like typically their skin color is darker or is like a shade darker and like you can kind of tell off of that but like when you're white passing like people like don't bat an eye at you you know Mm -hmm. um and like you don't really worry about like it's it's very strange like um because From my memory, the first time I experienced, like, racism, it wasn't even about me. Um, It wasn't even about being Asian American. It was actually about um, an African American in my school. Um, And I'm, like, I'm never going to forget this. Like, I'm never going to forget this. But there was, like, you know, when you're a kid and, like, race jokes are a thing like it's like yo mama jokes chuck norris jokes and race jokes right like that's Mm -hmm. that's it like in middle school and like high school yeah Mm -hmm. um and so i went to i also want to preface that um all of these people that like i'm gonna talk about probably um they're not bad people i still talk to some of them I don't think they're racist. I think a lot of this stuff, especially with my childhood, is like when you're a kid and you don't really understand, right? you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what it is you're saying or what you're talking about. Um, and like, I've seen change in all these people or most of these people. So um, if I say a name, like, it's not going to be the end of the world. Mm. So anyway, um, oh, and the other thing is that Growing up, all of my education has been in white Christian institutions. Elementary school, middle school, high school, college, they're all predominantly white and they're all Christian. So, um, so it is like, it is like a shock when you're in that environment and you're like, I had my first racist experience because you're like, oh, I'm like in a community that's not supposed to have those values. But anyway, so... I was in, like, middle school or high school, and there was a joke going around that, like, everyone was repeating, and they're like, oh, it's so funny. So, this is a small Christian white school. Um, I'm, like, there's, like, five Asian kids. I think I counted at one point. It's, like, there's five Asian kids, and on average, one black kid in every grade. Mm. Okay. So, Mm -hmm. um... And how old... Sorry, how old were you? 
this was I want to say this is like ninth or tenth grade. Okay. It's like it's I don't remember specifically, but I'm pretty sure it's like ninth or tenth grade. So like mm-hmm. what is that like fifteen sixteen ish? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we had. So it was we were in gym class, um, and we were like getting changed for gym class, and um, the way our school worked was that like because our grades were so small that like the um, you would have gym class with either the class above you or below you. Hmm. Okay, so there wasn't so my class had one black boy and then the class below us had one black girl. Um, which happened to be a pair of siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a joke going around that everyone was laughing about, and I was like, oh, like, what's everyone talking about? And they are like, oh, like, Rachel, this is really funny. What's the difference between a black man and a park bench? And I was like, okay, so what? And they were like, a park bench can support a family of four. Hmm. And I, like, I didn't, I honestly, I didn't get the joke. Right. And I was like, what are you talking... Like, I don't get it. Like, what are you talking about? And if you ever... Okay, pro tip. If you ever meet someone racist making a race joke and you don't know how to tell them it's not okay, tell them to explain it and see how com- uncomfortable they get. Right. Right? right? And right. so, like, people were like, oh, it's because, like, this, that, or the other. And I was like, isn't that kind of sad? Like, that's not funny. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Like... You're like, and they're like, oh, it's like just a joke. Like you need to lighten up. And I was, because my mom, at this point, my mom had finished her dissertation and she's working full time. My mom was working in a place called Arbor Hill or like South Hill in downtown Albany, which is a, it's basically almost a black slum in Albany. So like on my weekends, I'm like volunteering, volunteering at this clinic like, meeting these kids that are mostly black, African-Americans, and, like, they're struggling with, like, their family, they're struggling with, like, drugs, guns, gang violence, like, all this stuff, and so, like, hearing that in my Christian school with people that I know know better was, like, that that was the moment, you know, Mm um, and they were, I was, like, do you think, like, Adrian and Wanda think that's funny? Like, you know, like, they're your friends, and they're like, Rachel, like, it's a joke, like, you need to lighten up, and I'm just, like, I, I, like, couldn't believe that I heard that, you know, um, and, like, again, like, these are kids that, you know, they're kids, you know, you don't, like, know that you're being racist, you're not intentionally being racist, but, like, I'm pretty sure that, like, if I brought it up to them, they'd be like, yeah, that was, like, dumb, that was stupid, that's not right, you know, Mm -hmm. um, And it's, it's just, like, so I can't, I can't, like, imagine, I remember feeling like, oh, like, I'm glad that I am white passing, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I'm glad, like, those jokes aren't aimed at me, but it's really, it's kind of like getting a bucket of cold water dropped on you, you know, right and, um, I had a lot of, like, I didn't really, I, like, had a lot of trust issues at that, like, going forward, um, because this is also the age where, like, high school drama is a thing all of a sudden, and, like, you need to be careful who you talk to, this, that, and the other, and, like, I didn't trust anybody in my school after that, because I was, like, I don't know what they're gonna say about me, I don't know, like, 
what kind of jokes they're making about me, you know? Um, Hmm. And I kind of, like... I, I wasn't ashamed of being Chinese, and I've never been ashamed of that, but there was one time... There was one time I was talking with my mom, and she asked me that. She was like, are you ashamed of being Chinese? Like, mm. is it shameful? And it, like, hurt, you know? As, mm. And she was saying, like, well, you don't, like, really show, like, must, much interest, you know? Like, aside from what we do as a family. And right. I'm just like, well, it's it's hard, because, like, there aren't a lot of... There's, like, not, not that there isn't a lot to do, but, like... Like, I, like, as a person, I had, like, some other hang-ups. Like, I didn't really like being around people, like, large groups of people. Mm. So, like, I wasn't really into, like, oh, going out to the mall and, like, hanging out with your friends. Um, when I was, like, 16, 17, like, I couldn't, I didn't have my license yet. Um, driving gave me a lot of anxiety, so I actually didn't get my license until I was, like, 23, because I think my permit was expiring, and I didn't want to deal with the DMV at that point, you know? So, yeah. like... Yeah. As, like, growing up, I was used to, like, being by myself a lot, just, like, doing whatever I wanted on my own. So, like, it doesn't really appear that I'm very active in a community. Um, mm. But, like, it hurt. Like, can like, it's kind of like, Jordan, are you, like, ashamed I'm your mother, almost? Or, like, Jesse, like, are you ashamed that, like, this is your family? It's very hard-hitting. Um, right. And, and it's not only, like oh, like, I can't believe my mom's asking that, but it's also, like, I can't believe something had to happen that my mom had to think of that, you know? Right. Hmm. I mean, I feel like that's something a lot of people don't take into consideration is, uh, like, I don't know if I would call that, like, a family turmoil for being a different ethnicity, but I'm sure, like, there's even more conversations that happen in households that, you know, just you're your white white person just doesn't acknowledge or even care to think about and there is like i of course i can't talk for like all cultures but there are like certain things that are very opposite so like so i would say and disclaimer we're probably going to make a bunch of generalizations don't like grab your pitchfork and like attack (laughs) jesse (laughs) but like I would say, in white culture, um, let's say before the recession, that, like, what was expected of you was you go to college, you graduate college, you move out to your own place, and, like, living at home was, like, very, like, unusual before the 2008 recession, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas, like, in Asian cultures, and I want to say in, like, Hispanic cultures, it's very common to have a multi-generational household, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, not that white people don't do that, but, like, um, but it is, Certainly like, very common more. for you to, like, oh, like, if you're unmarried, like, stay home. And, like, yes, you live at home, but, like, you help out around home and, like, you pay rent maybe, this, that, or the other, and then, like, you move out when you're ready. It's it's very, like, whereas in white culture, it's kind of, like, as soon as you graduate, like, you have an apartment lined up and, like, you've already moved out, like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and so, like, I forgot where I was going with this point, but (laughs) there, but, like, oh, yeah, so for families that are much, um, 
more intense about the cultural divide, some parents take it very personally when their child moves out, you know, Hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. especially if they're unmarried, especially if there isn't like a plan, you know, I was actually watching, um, I was watching the new season of Queer Eye and they helped a, a Hispanic man and his family. And part of the, part of like the thing that they talked about was his oldest daughter moved out suddenly um and he was he felt that like the daughter didn't appreciate their heritage you know and that she had become americanized and like she was ashamed to be i think mexican i want to say mexican i don't remember Mm -hmm. but you know and it's and like that is a very common fight that like ethnic families have in america because like you get you get stuck in this like I, you want to like it's not that you want to choose one culture over the other it's just that like one of them and it's not even that one of them is more appealing than the other it's just that you've been like whatever you gravitate towards I guess so like um like a lot of which I think is a lot of fears for immigrant parents is that their kid will become quote-unquote Americanized and like lose the heritage and it's not so much that like they want you to be just like them but like they want you to understand where you are and like to be proud of who you are right be proud of your cultural background but like they're scared that becoming Americanized sort of like takes that part of your identity away you know which I haven't had that problem with my parents aside from that one conversation with my mom but I know that is common in some families. Well, it's sort of over the, especially over the past few weeks, it's definitely that fear seems uh, it's been proven to be well-founded because it's what, what I think people are, or what makes it hard to break into the American culture and criticize it is that the people coming into it or minorities who are coming into the culture, they have to, sort of shed their own uh in in the name of assimilation uh just to sort of get by and then once they've done that they shedded their uh natural culture they become americanized and are brought up and once they're in a position to criticize the culture and to sort of pick out the problems like maybe this is something that's wrong with it Uh people turn back around on them and say how could you criticize a culture that you've gained so much from? And right. it's like, a, I, I think that's a very um, effective being the sort of uh, object. Like, I don't, I don't mean effective as in good, but effective strategy in keeping the, cu- keeping the culture from questioning itself all that much. Yeah. And like, that's, there are like, um, like one of the, so when I when we agreed to do this podcast, um, I asked a couple of my friends who are white or not Chinese, like, are there topics like you want to talk want me to touch on? Um, and one of the things that came up a lot was like, um, there's a very specific word um, for it. Uh, they want they wanted me to talk about like blind spots. Hmm. Um, or, like, minor acts of racism. Not quite microaggressions, but, like, just, like, strange, ra- like, semi-racist or things that, like, really make race apparent to me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things uh, that I was always scared of was, which sound it sounds so dumb, but having like a dinner with white friends. Um, okay. And um, I'm probably gonna like spoil some of this, but um, I have actually a list of like racist things that people have said to me. Uh, whether it's intentional, like, to hurt me or just joking. Um, I was asked once when I was in high school, I think it was high school or middle school, um, my friend had invited me over for dinner. Mm-hmm. And they jokingly said to me, you're not going to eat my pet, right? Um, and how, how, this was high school, you said? This was like this was around the same time like high school yeah high school I don't remember the days exactly because time is an illusion and nothing matters but <laughs> um, it's that like a lot of these experiences because as I said like I didn't really recognize racist things until I hit high school right um and like first of all I do remember that their mom made the grossest casserole I've ever eaten in my life <laughs> but that's that aside. <laughs> It's just, like, I, so, my favorite food is dim sum, which, um, it is basically, it's somewhere between, like, appetizers and meals. So, um, in Asian culture, uh, we eat a lot, like, family style. Mm -hmm. So, when you go to, like, an Asian restaurant, you don't, like, order an entree for yourself. You typically order a meal, everyone orders a dish, and the whole table shares it. Um, and now dim sum is kind of like this family style sharing, but it's like all the food is basically bite sized, like an appetizer, but there's a lot of it. So it's like, you have like dumplings, you have a lot of dumplings, you have like, um, like spare ribs, but they're like bite size. I'm getting really hungry, (laughs) but like, it's like things like that. Right. And like, there are things that, like, white people would recognize, like, oh, like, shrimp noodle or shrimp dumplings, you know, or, like, like a bun stuffed with chicken. But then, like, we eat some, like, really weird things. Like, my personal favorite is uh, chicken feet, which it's literally just, like, chicken feet um, with really good sauce on it. But it's, like, I'm, like, always scared when, like, or I was always scared to, like, have people over for dinner because, like, my mom will be like, oh, we're making fish, and my friends expect, like, a tuna casserole or, like, fish sticks, and then it's, like, a whole steamed fish with the head and tail and skin on it, mm-hmm. on the table, you know? Mm-hmm. Or, like, and it's, it's like, kind of, like, I wouldn't say it's embarrassing, but, like, when your friends are like oh are you gonna eat my dog if you come over or if your friends are like have you ever eaten cat or like they're like oh i've eaten chinese food my favorite's like kung pao chicken it's like it's really stressful right (laughs) you know like every when i've like the few times i've like had brought in boyfriends home because also meals are really important in my family so like whenever family's visiting whenever friends are visiting we always go to like a really good restaurant and have a really good group meal so like obviously if i'm going to bring my boyfriend home we're like they're going to experience that every single time i've like always stressed out like 
is he gonna think it's gross is he gonna find something he wants to eat like is he like gonna be hungry after this because like he doesn't want to eat anything you know and it's like I understand you're making a joke about like this stereotype that like Asians eat anything but like it's stressful like it like weighs on you after a while um Mm -hmm. and so like like to be honest like chicken feet is like one of my favorite things to eat and then when like you're when people are like oh introduce yourself what's your favorite thing to eat you don't start you don't like lead with that you know Mm -hmm. you're you always like say like oh like sushi because everyone has eaten sushi you know or not everyone but it's like everyone knows what that is and it's not completely gross quote quote i had some Um, of that today (laughs) (laughs) but it's or it's you know like and it's kind of, like I've gotten to a point in my life where I'm just like I don't care, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten to that mentality of like if that's like your problem with me is that like I eat this part of the chicken that like you won't even try then whatever, but like it's it's like almost like a minefield almost. So um, I I actually well, have yeah. A... Oh, yeah. Sorry, I want to riff on what you're saying. It's sort of like you know it talking about things that you do regularly it's sort of hit or miss you said a minefield and it triggered triggered my thought it's like you know something that's sort of not the norm for white people a few years ago would have been sushi like it's raw fish how many raw fish uh, meals do western european types usually eat but for some reason that one has been completely accepted and now it's pretty much a part of like our cosmopolitan society but like something like chicken feet would be completely out of the realm of somebody's possibility and it would make you again question sort of the it, it, the choice to eat something like that so so and it's oh go ahead jesse i, I just a quick question because i've never had chicken feet right but i've seen them yeah uh how do you eat like is there meat on the legs of it it's okay it's literally the chicken claw and okay. it's all cartilage there's a lot of bones oh. in it. The chicken itself, it's not meat. It's like, you know, when you're eating, like, drumsticks and there's that cartilage bit, like, on the knuckle? Like the crispy part, right? Or no? Yeah. Like, the, um, like, so, like if they don't clean the drumstick all the way, sometimes around the knuckles. I'm not quite as sure how often it shows up on, like, deep-fried chicken. It probably mm. is removed. But, like, if you have, like, um... What's the word I'm looking for? The not deep, like the not fried chicken. Like if you ever have like wings or like ribs. Yeah. And yeah. they have cartilage on parts of it. It's like, so normally like on the drumstick, because of where the cartilage is, you like can't eat it because like there's bone wrapped up in it and stuff. Uh-huh. The chicken foot is just, it's all cartilage and it doesn't taste like anything. Like it, mm. like... What makes the chicken feet taste good is the sauce they steam it in, basically. Mm. Um, And there's a lot of bones in it, um, you know, that you have to, like, not swallow. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Part of the reason I do like chicken feet is, like, because I learned how to debone the feet with just, like, my mouth and a pair of chopsticks, which is always impressive at parties. (laughs) Um, I can eat uh, chicken wings with chopsticks. Um and things like that. My dad can de de shell a full shrimp with chopsticks. It's really cool to watch. Jeez. Um, so like part of it is like, oh, look at this weird novelty thing I can do. But it like, 
it, there isn't like a lot of sustenance to it. Like in in dim sum, the idea is like little pockets, like little bites of right. food. Right. So right. the idea is that like you have a bite of each dish and then you're suddenly full and very happy and suddenly have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but okay. like so but it is like a ver- it is like not like you wouldn't go to like a Chinese takeout store and see chicken feet on the menu simply because it's prepared specialized for right. dim sum, you know. Mm. And like that was another thing of like um the what you were saying about like the metropolitan like sushi being metropolitanized i like to call it like americanized um which isn't bad it's just that like like when pf chang's first started opening up in my area mm-hmm. and like my friends would be like oh like i like want to go out for like really good chinese food guys like let's like let's not get takeout tonight let's get like really good chinese food and I'm thinking of, like, oh, like, are they talking about this place in Colony? Are they talking about this place in downtown Albany? Are they talking about Latham? And they're like, yeah, let's go to P.F. Chang's. And I, like, mm-hmm. instantly lose interest. Because <laughs> it's not that the food isn't bad, you know? It's like, you have to think of it of, like, okay, so when you, like, want a good burger, right? It's like, oh, like, you fire up the grill in the backyard and, like, you cook, like, you made, you made it by hand and, like, it was not sanitized marinated that's what i'm looking for you know like that's a good burger right (laughs) you know but then like but then there's like mcdonald's which sells burgers it's not the same right Right. it's still technically a burger and like that's kind of like where the like chinese chains fall for me like to me pf chang's is like it's the same as like takeout like takeout chinese you know um and it's not that there's nothing bad with takeout Chinese. Like, those are actual dishes. Like, we do eat, um, like, lo mein. We do eat Kung Pao chicken. But it's, like, one of those things where it's, like, if you really want to experience it, like, expand your palate, man. Like, <laughs> you don't have to eat chicken feet. But, like, try something else. You know? Um, I introduced my best friend to, like, soup noodles at a restaurant. And she was like, oh, my God, I didn't know this was, like, a whole, like, dish and I was like, this is like a whole subsection of Chinese food, you know? Like, there are shops in China that just do soup noodles. There are shops in China that do, like, 60 different kinds of fried rice. Like, you got, like, open your mind up, man, <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, shoot, I lost my train of thought. There was something very specific I wanted to talk about, about, like, Chinese food. Um, and, like, the whole Americanized thing of it. But I'm sure it'll come to me later when we've passed the topic already. <laughs> I think we um, should move past the food, though. <laughs> are you getting hungry, Jesse? Little, little bit. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So, it's 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 just like and like it's things like that where you're just like you wouldn't be worried. Like if you invited me over for dinner, Jordan, you wouldn't be like, oh, I hope Rachel doesn't find our casserole gross. Like, it's just like not a thing that like you kind of think about. Right. Um, right. Or like, it's, it's, it's so like people, the weirdest things, like I remember, um, like I know for, uh, non-white passing people, like, that, like, band-aids, I don't know how else to, like, lead into this topic, but, like, 
band-aids are supposed to be flesh colored to match your skin tone so like you don't see it you know Mm. and um have a black friend that like found a small business that makes like black band-aids like and like to us that's like oh that's like such a niche thing you know like you don't really think about that Mm -hmm. and they were texting me they're like dude i just realized like band-aids are supposed to blend into your skin like i found this really cool thing it's like it's got my skin color it's like really cool like to them that was like christmas morning or um like black ballerinas they do this thing called pancaking their ballet shoes i i just i just saw this yeah so ballet shoes um like are supposed to blend with your skin tone Mm -hmm. but typically like ballet shoes don't come in dark brown you know and like you don't want to stand out you don't want your shoes to stand out on the stage so like black ballerinas go through a lot of effort to by hand stain their shoes like they use makeup they use paint they use like industrial grade like special effects stuff like it's insane it's like little things like that like matter you know Mm. and they matter in a way like you can't always understand right you'd think something like that would just be be a common thing Mm -hmm. but, but it's not and in the and it's not only that like oh it's uncommon it's also like almost specialized so like so you'd think like oh so let's say for example that like for ballet shoes you'd expect all ballet shoes to like cost the same you know and then like a company comes out and they're like oh like we make ballet shoes for like african-american darker skin and you'd expect it to be the same price well sometimes they have to be more expensive because manufacturers don't normally make that you know Mm -hmm. like you have to compensate for the quote-unquote abnormal abnormality of the product and so it's so it's just like another thing on top of that that is just like that we don't think about you know right mm-hmm. yeah i i don't it, when, whenever i hear things like that i think that's a good example of systematic racism not to sort of not to not intentionally to spice up the podcast with language like that but um buzzwords yeah, but but like, you know, I, I, I don't, systematic racism it, to me doesn't, at least on its face, doesn't sound like uh, the person, the, all the people who run companies are racist. That's why everything around it is bad. Like, I think that's like a oversimplification of the problem, but sort of something like that, where it's just, it was designed to be a way for certain people, and now it no longer is that way, or now it's in its existence it 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 uh sort of uh neglects a certain certain people i think that's a much better illustration than sort of uh just blanket statements about how society is run i don't know that's sort of i know what you mean yeah like the ballerina shoes were made for white people and now like they're made they should be made for everybody but we never changed it right have you guys seen, like, those, like, diagrams about, like, equality and equity and what the difference is? hmm Yeah, so, um, so inequality, you know, or equality, um, the idea is that everyone is treated the same, you know? So, mm-hmm. regardless of who you are or what you are everyone gets like 
So let's say, for example, we have three people. Um, one is uh, an upper-class gentleman, one is a middle-class gentleman, and one is a lower-class gentleman, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to, like, say this as simply as I can so that we don't spend too much time on it. So, like, the stimulus check is, like, a good way to look at it, all right? So mm-hmm. aside from where they are, like, in society, um, they all get, like, the same stimulus check. So even though that one guy is super rich and he doesn't really need it, he would still get a stimulus check. Whereas the guy that's in low class, he needs more help, but he still gets the same amount as everyone. Right. Whereas equity makes it so that everyone, it's not that everyone gets treated the same, but everyone has the same standing. So like with the stimulus check, like the upper class man that doesn't really need that money wouldn't get it. And the one in lower class would get more so that in the end they all balance out this is like a very rudimentary explanation of how this works but like that's basically the idea is is so it's kind of like you can use it for like disabled people too there's like a really good diagram about like bicycles you know like Mm -hmm. a like you wouldn't give everyone you wouldn't give an adult male a child and a disabled elderly person the same bike right you would get the smaller child like a tricycle with training wheels, the adult would get the adult bike, and then the disabled person would get a bike that suits their needs. Like, that's the idea behind equity. And so, like, of course, everyone likes to talk about equality, especially right now, because it's something I think more people are familiar with. Um, But I think what our country honestly really needs is more equity across the board. Um, Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, that's my little spiel on that. Hmm. Cultural appropriation is always a really tricky subject. Um, because, and this was another question a lot of my friends asked me, like, where is the line? What is, how do I know? And to be fair, you, like, especially for, I think that the line is very clear for certain things. So, um, again, none of us are black, hmm. but... One of the things that really comes up with the cultural appropriation argument is natural hair for African Americans, you know, and the argument of like, should white people be allowed to have dreadlocks, you know, things like Mm -hmm. that. Now, in a lot of African American cultures, their hair is super important, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, their hair, sometimes it's like, if you sometimes it's like a tribal identifier you know because like african-american is not a blanket statement just like how white is not a blanket statement you know like you guys are probably part like 60 different european countries right that's the Mm -hmm. same with africa like africa is not one country it's one continent it's not one country (laughs) and so like when you have a lot of tribes when you have a lot of communities like, they identify themselves, so sometimes it's through their hair or their clothing, you know, um, and, like, there's also, of course, these days, there's a lot of argument about, like, natural hair in schools, you know, like, uh, there was the wrestler who, like, literally got his hair roughly cut at a match. I, because I his, remember that. Because oh. his hair wasn't appropriate, there was 
a boy that wasn't allowed to like walk his senior graduation because his hair wasn't appropriate like it's mm-hmm. that's dumb. and this it's 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 like hard like i know one of my friends again um that was yeah one of my friends wanda who's a black woman um i love like honestly i like love her hair so much like she's always serving looks wanda if you're listening shout out to you and she (laughs) knows she knows because like she posts a picture of herself on instagram or on social media and i'm like wanda send me that picture in high def so i can draw it like (laughs) i love and her fam like all of her family but anyway like she was talking about like loving her natural hair like coming to terms with loving her natural hair because like like it's 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 like a big identifier of who they are and like they want to fit in especially like when you're in high school you know um and it's like it's so it's like hard i think it's hard for anyone to see their friend like struggle with loving a part of themselves you know there was a um um, sorry uh, no i was i was trailing off there there was a uh a black female wrestler and it was weird because she's been around. Her her name is uh, Naomi, and uh, WWE, and she's been around for a while, right? But what was it was like just this year before the whole Corona thing happened. She like let her hair her natural hair go, so she had like a, a really big afro, right? And social media like blew up. People were like giving her so much love, and it was it was really cool to see. Like, because it was like now black females feel like they have someone representing them on a larger stage. And, you know, it's something like you don't think about is that has so much meaning and so much carryover just by letting her natural hair go. Yeah. And like, it's something that like genetically, like you can't change your hair, like um like yeah you can get relaxers and make your hair straight or straighten your hair every day but that's like so damaging to your hair you know Mm. um and like this whole thing of like oh like cornrows is hood or dreadlocks are dirty it's like no like my personal opinion is that white people should not wear ethnic hairstyles because their hair is not built for that and what i mean is like Forbid me for getting slightly sciency when we have Jordan in the house, but you watch it. The different, so basically, it's like obviously the hair is like genetic, but it's the way that it is, how it affects. So I'm trying to like explain it. So my hair is extremely straight and thin. I have a lot of hair, but it's all extremely thin, and the reason is because in Asian genetics, the outs the the outside shaft, um, the like, basically the first defense armor of each mm-hmm. hair follicle is non-existent. Mm-hmm. So that's why my hair is so straight, and it's why like it breaks so easily because it doesn't have that. On the other end of the spectrum, you have African American hair, which has like twice as much strength, and because it's like so thick, that's what makes it so curly. So that's where your like hair texture comes from is really like that final layer right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so it's like 
you can't really that's not like something that like african-american hair is always going to be curly you know Mm -hmm. and so like because it's always been curly when you that's like why we have specialized barber shops and like black hairdressing salons so like their hair is people found a way to manage their hair through dreadlocks through cornrows natural whatever you want to describe it and so these people learn how to take care of that specific hair you know and Mm -hmm. so that's why those hairs i that's why it's not gatekeeping it's just genetically that's what works and that's like and the hair can take that kind of stress because like from what i understand of cornrows and dreadlocks it does put a lot of stress on your hair you know Mm. um but it's also it's like it's like it's not just like you go to the salon they do the cornrows they do the dreadlocks and that's it you're like set until next year like you're taught how to take care of it you know you're taught like how to maintain it how to like wash it clean it how to like keep it healthy but when white people get those hairstyles and their hairstyle isn't the same those upkeep treatments don't always work you know it's like Mm -hmm. and like in my in like my experience growing up i always went to asian hairdressers i didn't get anything special i would literally just get it cut but because they know how to deal with my hair Mm -hmm. like i went to i went to get my hair cut after the first wave of opening after you know the first wave of opening in new york and my hairdresser struggles with my hair because it's so thin it's like it's just so light and airy and it's like she couldn't like get a hold of it when she was doing the final touches and so it's kind of like you know like those hairstyles aren't designed for your hair so like don't get them (laughs) Mm -hmm. but so i want to sort of drill drill on it drill in on cultural appropriation a little bit so is even though it is a bad, it's like not common practice, should white people still be allowed to get that sort of hairstyle? Because I think there's people on both sides of that uh, from, argument. From what I understand, like, for a white person, they can always change their hairstyle later. Mm-hmm. You know, like... You can go, like, you can go through a dreadlocks phase, you know, where you have dreadlocks for, like, three or four years, and then you're tired of it, and you cut it off, and, like, you go back to whatever hair cut. For African Americans, to be honest, if you've ever seen, like, really well-kept dreadlocks, I think it's an excellent way to, like, keep your hair neat and tidy, as long as, of course, you're, like, upkeeping it. So, like, I don't understand why that shouldn't be allowed, like, in a professional setting you know like Mm -hmm. because and i think that's what the crux from my understanding that is the crux of the matter is like african-american people like get rejected from jobs or lose jobs they get kicked out of schools Mm -hmm. they get shamed and humiliated in public for their hairstyle and it's kind of like when you only have so many options you know Mm. like what do you like what is someone what is anyone going to do at that point you know like is like are you can't expect like an entire culture to just like shave their head just so they can get a job you know what i mean right or like and again it's also like treatments like hair straightening treatments straightening your hair every day like 
those are chemicals or those are high heat items that damages your hair so it's kind of like they have to make a choice you know and they shouldn't have to make that choice and so that's also why i don't believe i don't support white people taking those haircuts because it's like for you it is a choice you know like you can like cut your hair off or you can like undo that hairdo but an african-american person only has so many choices to pick Mm -hmm. from you know um and so like that's my again that's an african-american experience that none of us have personal experience in but like from what i understand from what my african-american friends have explained to me from the research i've done that's why Mm -hmm. i have that stance okay well i know we're running a bit long i was gonna say i do sort of i want to touch on the uh you you linked another incident where so this um i'm gonna i I think i get the story but on on the notes there's this 2018 a uh white uh woman wears a chinese uh, dress to a prom and it's that that's been that was labeled cultural appropriation because of the fashion in which she went about doing that is that is that about correct yeah that so that was the general story this um non-asian girl wore a chinese uh kipo uh or a chango sam depending on uh your asian background um to prom and um mm-hmm. took a bunch of prom photos and published them and then like the internet went crazy about it mm-hmm. and then and i remember this very well because like people we're like talking about it on Facebook and like talking to me about it. They're like, how do you feel about this? Like, isn't this cultural appropriation? This, that, and the other. So first of all, if you've ever worn a Kipo, it's like the most uncomfortable thing in the world. <laughs> so my, like my, like it is everything I hate in an outfit. It's got a really high neck. The fabric has no stretch. You can't like walk in it. Okay, it's like all over for me personally, it is very uncomfortable. So my initial reaction was like, if you're going to a dance in that, like I kind of commend you because you're it's like tight, but also like, I don't know why you would want to go to a dance in that, you know? Mm-hmm. My so, second, oh, yeah, oh, sorry. sorry, my second reaction is I personally don't think it's cultural appropriation, but I also don't think it was like appropriate to wear to a prom if that makes sense so like Mm. in my personal opinion cultural appropriation is when someone who knows better takes something from someone else's culture and kind of like for lack of better words americanizes it or like so what offended me about this was not the dress but it was one of the pictures she took in the dress, which all of her friends put their hands together. Is that and the one like, you have linked? Yeah, that's the picture in our like notes. But like, mm-hmm. this is like, they made, it looks like, like a Chinese bowing position. And I was like, okay, I think I would consider that cultural appropriation because they're like, oh, like, let's take a funny picture and do this. Right. Later, mm-hmm. it was revealed that like, that wasn't the intention there was like a like a thing a youtuber did or something like it's like their sign off on their videos and like all these people that were in the photo like watched that youtuber Mm. and weren't but like to me the dress itself was not cultural appropriation but like 
being in the dress and doing those actions because like people did that to me in high school or in like middle school like when they saw me they would like put their hands together and like bow to me and they'd be like oh haha like funny chinese greeting like no like that like that is insulting to me yeah that's messed up but like if you read that article, you'll see Asians on both sides of the story, like people like me that are like, oh, I like don't like it doesn't really bother me. But then like some other Asians will be like, my dress is not for a photo op. My dress is not for a dance, you know, and it's it's hard for me to talk about it because as I've already said, I'm not like super immersed in my culture as much as I want to be. Yes, the Kipo is like for like certain events like i think i wore one to one of my like graduation ceremonies mm. um like i wouldn't and again it's be, like the other reason is because like kibos are expensive because they're typically silk hand embroidered and also as i said very uncomfortable so why would you want to wear it for <laughs> anything other than what it's attended mm-hmm. but if like a person like went to like you see it a lot when people go on study abroad programs mm-hmm. and they like get dressed up in like the um what's the word in the like country's traditional outfit Mm -hmm. i don't think that's cultural appropriation because like they're being dressed by professionals typically and like there's nothing wrong with taking a photo and it's like they're experiencing the culture they're like learning the culture right you know and the situation kind of dictates it almost yeah and then like I remember there was another incident where this little girl wanted to have a, this white girl wanted, little girl, like eight, it was Mm. her birthday, and she wanted to have, like, a Japanese-themed birthday party. Mm. And so the parents, like, threw, like, a Japanese-themed birthday party or something like that, and, like, people were like, oh, I can't believe the parents did that, that's cultural appropriation, this and the other, and I'm like, this is a girl that is so interested in a culture that is not her own that she wants a birthday party right like themed after like there's nothing wrong with it that is like you have just discouraged this girl from ever like experiencing another culture yeah like i think i think that's a lot of the tension especially from you know older white people that i talk to um i i think that's the tension with you know that's why they think cultural appropriation is a joke because it's like it, there's these people out here and, and maybe if this uh, lady in the prom dress was really like doing her honest best to like pay homage to the culture, like then I, w- I would say that's a good thing. Like I, I obviously question it, especially with this uh, photo, but right. you know, whatever, let's just assume she has the best of intentions. Like that seems like a good thing and something you would expect in a cosmopolitanist society where mm-hmm. people are taking little bits from every culture The and uh displaying it but they're sort of shouted down from people and it's not all people and this line is very blurry as far as i can tell as far as what is cultural appropriation or not the other thing is like another part of it that's case by case is what happens after someone's accused of of cultural appropriation so this girl apologized this girl like tried like explained as much as she could and like some people are always going to hold her against her mm-hmm. um and if you ever want me back for another podcast we can talk about the cancel culture table I... that but like <laughs> if she was like unapologetic if she was like it's just a dress 
or she's like, you guys care too much, like, I'm just trying to have fun, that would affect my opinion of this girl, which, again, never met her, but, like, from all the facts I have, um, and, like, since we're talking about cultural appropriation, a lot of people ask me, is cosplay cultural appropriation? Which, cosplay is, um, when you dress up as a fictional character, but, like, not, like, it's not the same as, like, Halloween, which has, like, a history behind it, but, like, cosplay is kind of, like, I don't know how to explain it, but that's basically it. Like, you typically dress up as a fictional character, um, and the main characters people dress up as are, like, video games, anime or manga, or, like, comic books. Like, that is cosplay, Mm -hmm. and, like, you hear about them at, like, Comic-Con and stuff like that, and people, and because anime and manga are predominantly Asian, people always ask me, is it cultural appropriation if I dress up as this Asian character? And the answer is, no, it's not cultural appropriation. Hmm. Because, first of all, that character is fictional, okay? Like, that's not a real person, you know? Hmm. Um, so, like, right off the bat, no. If you are cosplaying like the what the the idea of cosplay is that anyone can be any anyone you know so like the so you there's a whole other like cosplay discourse argument all the time um of like oh i don't have the right body type like i'm bigger than this person or like can i cosplay this character even though i'm black or a different ethnicity and the the idea behind cosplay is like you can be anyone regardless of what you look like, your skin color, things like that. And so I don't think it's, I don't consider it cultural appropriation. Now, if you were cosplaying and you were like taping your eyes up to be like super slanty, you know, or like making body modifications to yourself to be Asian and cosplay, that I would say is not okay. Um, And like, there's surprisingly for whatever reason there's like arguments that like black people should only cosplay black characters and i'm like that's you like you never see you never see and if you have send me the link because like but i you never see like a black person painting themselves like white or painting themselves to not be black to do a cosplay you don't right. see that. You do see white people put blackface on for cosplays. It does still happen, you know? Oof. And, like, of course, blackface, bad, has a whole history behind it. But, like, that, like, you are missing, you are, like, you are taking something that should not be problematic and making really dumb choices that makes it problematic and then not owning up to your actions, you know? Mm. Um, so, like, I can't believe this happened, but when the black, when George Floyd was killed, um, and there was all the social media buzz, and there was, like, all these social media trends going around, mm-hmm. there was a Black Lives Black Face trend I saw going around. <sighs> and, like, inherently, I don't think these, pe- like, these people did not think it through, is what it was. But basically, what I had seen, in a nutshell was a lot of these, like, Instagram makeup artists. There's a lot of things wrong with this, but it was makeup artists, and they were doing their makeup, and then they, like, they, like, did half of their makeup. They, like, put, like, 
brown paint on and made themselves like their skin dark and like did their makeup like two different ways and it's kind of like i get what you're going for but like that is blackface and then the other the other problem with that trend was a lot of these people were like white or black all of us matter all lives matter which we don't have to get into that but it was just a whole cornucopia of issues right so for anyone that asked me cosplaying is not cultural appropriation it is your attitude and your intent with when you cosplay when you're dressed up or when you're in cultural garb that dictates it and again everyone's gonna treat it differently you know like it might offend some people in a different way might not offend people but just please think before you decide to do anything you know like hopefully you have friends you have friends in these minorities that you can ask them so before i went on this podcast to talk about this i actually talked to uh wanda my black friend and i was like hey i'm doing this podcast and i said like how do i make sure that i don't come off as like speaking over african-american voices or like you know like how would you say i should approach this topic and like she was totally okay with it you know like Mm -hmm. if any of my friends and i know a lot of my friends cosplay asked me like is this wrong like should i do this is this a good idea i will give you advice on that you know Mm -hmm. and like i always appreciate that because that shows like people are willing to learn you know Mm -hmm. yeah I re- well, I'm really glad we got to drill in on the cultural appropriation because I feel like I, I drive myself crazy trying like li- like people are pointing out which what's the cultural appropriation. I sort of like, am I crazy for thinking this is or it isn't? And right. It's like, oh, I, yeah, keep going. Oh no, I, I was I was trailing off this one. So, so <laughs> um, wait, I have one more go, point, Jesse. Go for it. Go for it. The other the one of the big problems with cultural appropriation is when you have people that are not of that culture speaking for people of that culture. So with the prom dress incident, none of my Asian friends really cared. They all kind of had the same thinking that I did, like that dress is really uncomfortable, why would you wear that type? Mm. But like everyone that was like, this girl's racist, this girl's committing cultural appropriation, like this is awful, they were all white people. Mm. And I was like, and and this is like the issue across the board is like don't like talk for us you know like don't be like oh i have a black friend and this would offend her you don't know unless you ask her you know Mm. i have an asian friend this would offend her i was not offended you know um and like when and one of my friends was like hey did you hear about this like what do you think i'm like honestly i don't really care about it it doesn't really matter she's like huh that surprised me. Like, I thought you would really care about this. And I was like, it's small potatoes. Like, yeah. you know? And so, like, don't... If you really want to talk about something, like, ask someone you know of, like, that group of people. And if you don't... If you can't talk to someone because you don't know someone of that group, just be, like... Just, like, be very open about that. Like, don't, don't speak for a minority group if you are not part of that minority because when you do that like the minority's voice kind of gets lost you know where like when we do finally want to speak like people like have already been like oh i know what you're gonna say because these like seven other people like said it for you so don't bother 
Mm-hmm. So, we're we're running pretty long here. Long. <laughs> um, I want to try to wrap this up here. Because, uh, I, I don't know, I feel like we covered a good bit. Um, you have this list of things people have said to you. I don't know if you want to go over them or if you don't, that's fine. I can. I think it'd be a good way to end, actually. Not because it's, like, a very shocking note, but because um, it's kind of... I think it'll put in perspective how damaging some of the things you can say, whether you're intended to be racist or not, Mm. how it can come off. Um, So if you want to end on that note, we can. Um, I've already said... Oh, yeah? I was going to say, I think that's probably a good spot okay. to end it um, on. So I've already, I have already said some of these. I think one or two of these I've said already. Um, but um, I think this is a good way to also Jeez. point out. <laughs> yeah, I had it blacked <laughs> out on the notes so that Jesse and Jordan would have no idea what I'm about to say. And some of this Oof. stuff is... Um, I will say that I've only been called a racial slur once in my life, and it was last weekend, um, when this guy very rudely cut me off when I was driving home, stopped suddenly and did an illegal U-turn. Like, he stopped so suddenly that if I, like, I almost crashed into him. Um, and so I laid on the horn, he did the illegal U-turn, flipped me the bird out his driver's window and called me a racial slur. That's messed up. Um, but these are all things that I have been, have been said to my face. Um, that like, and again, as I said, these are all from my friends. These are some of these, some of these people, you know, Jordan. (laughs) I, Um, we'll leave names out. We preface this and it, it, uh, way back at the beginning of this we talked about like you just don't know what you're saying like thank god i had slow internet growing up and some of the things <laughs> that i said when as a high school like full disclosure i i look back on those times i say wow like what an idiot. this this is why i don't trust kids anymore like i yeah. used to be like youth is the future and now i'm like <laughs> maybe maybe 23 and you can start and i'll start taking you seriously <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so, and I will, some of these I might get into, but I know that we're running late. I knew this topic would make us run late. Are these all, these are all actual things that have been said to you? These are all actual things people have said to me. Okay. Um, (laughs) So, this one's very common. What kind of Asian are you? I've been asked all kinds of variations. What kind of species of Asian are you? What kind of flavor of Asian are you? There's a nicer way to ask that question. And the que- the way you ask that question is you either ask, so what's your ethnicity? Right. I mean, that's really the only like proper way to ask someone. Or you can ask them, like, hey, like, what's your cultural background? That's all okay. That's Don't I mean. ask someone what flavor they are, please. <laughs> um, mm. I've been asked, do you speak the Ching Chong language? Um, which is typically in the conversation of, 
you don't have an accent. You're the whitest Asian person I know. I've been called I've been called a golden Oreo before. Golden Oreo. So golden Oreos are the cookie part of it is like a yeah. shortbread, right? Uh-oh. And it what it means because those shortbreads are kind of yellow means on the outside I'm yellow, but on the inside I'm really white. So that goes along with you're not a real Asian. You're not actually Asian. Um, I said the one about like going to people's houses that have pets. Um, mm. This was said to me by someone at Grove City College that Jordan knows, which I won't call them out for it. I, um, I, want, I saw a post recently from someone who used to go there, and uh, I think the minority population of Grove City College is 6%. Uh, jeez. When I, okay, so when I was doing my super senior year, I was in the Mm -hmm. apartments, which has four people in it, and me and two of my roommates were Asian, the other person was white, and we were like, this is the highest concentration of Asian people Grove City has ever had in one place for an Mm -hmm. extended amount of time. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. There, so there's jokes about getting the only black person on campus to be in the uh, pamphlet or something like that. Oh yeah, that was those. like that was the thing. I like never went to sanctioned events because um, I knew that Grove City would have a photographer there, and I knew that they wanted the ethnic diversity. And I mm. almost succeeded. I the back of me can be seen in a promotional video, but aside from that, my record's pretty clean. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this was said to me by someone at Grove City that I'm really good friends with who has apologized for this comment, and I still talk to them. It is your duty to have mixed-race babies. Oh, so, Ooh, that's, that that's is, a, a, that that's, is an emblematic Grove City. That's just screams Grove City to me. So Grove City, it's very common for people to get married right outside of college. So Before spring. <laughs> so... Um, Typically, if you're in a relationship with someone else at Grove City, you're basically expected to get married. You're like, if the relationship lasts like more than a year and a half, a year, I would say, uh, people are going to assume you get married. So the story behind this comment was um, a bunch of my friends are getting married. We're engaged. I was dating a white guy um, who also went there. And all of these engaged people were like, I can't wait to start having babies and having a family, blah, blah. And I was like... I don't really want kids. It's just something that, like, I've never been really obsessed with getting married or having kids. Um, And my good friend was like, Rachel, you would have the cutest mixed-race babies with this person. It is your duty as an Asian American to have mixed-race babies. And I was like, that is wrong on multiple levels, and I'm really mad at you, but I don't want to get into it right now. I don't want to dwell on this, but do I know this person? You know this person very well. Oh, which we can talk about this after the recording. She's a man. I have a lot of friends that have told me you you're like a little China doll, which uh, is racist in the sense of that specifically Asian women have a long history of being fetishized by non-Asians. Um, and so it's kind of like infant what is the word infantizing yeah yeah i i know the the term like lolly comes to comes to mind that's 
I know that's a little too far down the road, but yeah, but it's like this cow. this like thing of like oh like you're like you're gonna be like a little kid forever. Like I could just like dress you up and like you know you're like this cute little doll. And it's like I'm a human person with human emotions and very angry human feelings right now. Yeah. Right. Um. And I have actually had a guy tell me he wanted to date me because he thought I was exotic. That's. <laughs> So. Which falls under the same problems as, like, you're looking at me like an object or a collector's edition item right. than a person. And the last one, which I toned this quote down so that it would be appropriate for you guys to air. <laughs> oh, no. So, I'm currently dating a white guy. Um, we're in a long-distance relationship. Um, and it's really hard for us to make time in our schedules to meet up. So most of the time when I do see him, I don't, like, hang out with his friends a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and so we had just started dating. I had visited, but I hadn't met a lot of his friends. I'd met some of them, but not all of them. And then I went back, and then after I had left, he got together with the friends I had met, and then the other friends in that same group I didn't meet. And the first thing this guy said to him when he found out he was dating an Asian girl was... Are you dating an anime character? I can tell you guys what he actually said afterwards, but yeah. Uh, same line of, I guess I'm not a human person. I feel like whoever that guy was ha has little respect for your boyfriend. Well, my boyfriend really, yeah. has a very low tolerance for this kind of people. And um, yeah. like he will call people out for saying this. And he told me like, immediately the entire group of people looked at him and was like that is not okay you should apologize to him and then you should apologize to his girlfriend which you've never met right um yeah. so yeah but uh i mean i'm glad happened. we can all recognize that these are like heinous but then at the same time these things were actually said so right and there's how, mu how much further along are we really right um i've Oof. I've also been asked, uh, this isn't as racist, but I've been asked before, um, when I meet your parents, should I bow? And that doesn't sound bad, but it's like, if you're, like, if you're gonna ask something, like, if you're genuinely trying to ask a question, don't, like, really think. Don't assume, yeah. So, like, I, like, say, like, is there, like, a cultural greeting I should be aware of? That's fine. You know, like... If so, like if you if I'm eating like a cultural meal with you and you don't know how to eat it, like don't just stab it with your chopsticks. Ask me because eighty percent of the time we're eating it with our hands anyway, and you're gonna look like a fool. But like, mm. you know, like we are more than willing to help guide you and help educate you. But if you don't ask or if you don't think, like. I've, I have friends that, like, still ask things semi-racistly, but they always start with, I don't know how else to ask this question. And mm. it's like, I'd ra I would, like, that is the bare minimum. That is, like, the bare minimum I would expect. Don't just slide into my DMs and ask me, like, do you speak Ching Chong language? Be like, hey, like, I don't know how else to ask this. Is it okay if I ask you this question? And I, is that and how then they somebody say, asked you that? Someone, not recently, but, like, in the past... Someone they jokingly was like, oh, like, do you speak the Ching Chong knees? Like, 
but it's like even if like even if it's not that like instead of saying like what kind of asian are you you can be like hey um i don't know how to ask this but like i know you're asian like what kind are you like as long as you preface with like you are aware that what you're about to say is racist and it makes you uncomfortable we can work with that we can work with that yeah oh boy that's that's there's a lot to unpack here, but is there and anything a lot... else? <laughs> um, is, is there anything else that you can? Oh, let me think. Um, I would say that. I just like recap. My experiences are not universal. I might be more easygoing than some other Asians. So, like, if you listen to this podcast. And then you just take my advice and start doing some of these things around your Asian friends. Like, don't just assume. Like, as I said, I was fine with, like, the prom dress thing. Some American Asians were not okay with it, you know? You have to kind of take it on, like, a case-by-case basis. And just showing that you're willing to work on that and ask about it. Like, as low as that bar is, that is the bar. (laughs) Right. Um, and, like, again, like, if you're asking from a position that you want to learn, you want to understand, like, no matter what race it is, they'll appreciate that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would also say for any Asian American or Asian listeners that you may have listening, that, like, remember, we are also culpable of racist, ra- being racist. We are also culpable of, like, actions that white people do as well like we also need to take responsibility the especially in america america is not just black and white it's african americans it's white people europeans it's asian americans it's hispanics it's latinos it's we're the whole soup man so we all gotta work together or else it's gonna be a really gross soup right All right. Well, Rachel, thank you so much again for being here. It was awesome, yeah. Uh, next time, let's talk about something more fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I Well, yeah, th- I mean, I'm glad we touched on a lot of the things that we touched on. Like, I, I feel like trying to think of, like, points of friction it, as a white person not being able to navigate the changes going on, I think this might actually be informative, so... I'm glad. I know. I I knew as soon as we were like, let's do this. I was like, this is going to be a long one. (laughs) (laughs) Is there any social media or anything you want to shout out? Uh, yeah. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's R A E underscore S P U. Uh, T I N. It's race Putin. That's like my brand, I guess. (laughs) Um, but yeah, that's, that's mostly it. I'm like always around if you want to talk about anime or uh, art stuff or Asian dynamics in America. I'll be here. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me again. I hope you guys uh, survive through COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, you too. Yeah, you too. <laughs> Alright, so... Alright, you want to dive right into it? Yeah, let's just dive right in.
Um, okay. So I took notes. Uh, you did? These things. So these things are starting to go on long enough that I, I jot down some thoughts I have while we're saying them. I, I took time time code notes. Yeah. You, that, <laughs> That's yeah, all I did. I, I figured you were doing the more productive one, but as the ideas guy. As the uh, ideas guy. <laughs> so, so, so. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah, no, there was a. A lot of it was really informative. I really didn't know what we were going to try to get out of this, but I'm glad we covered the topics that we did. Yeah. I, I mean, I... We, di- we didn't do much structure for this episode mm-hmm. simply because we're, we're two white dudes, like she said earlier, and we, we don't really have... We don't, we don't know. So this was a learning experience for us as well as our fellow listeners. Mm-hmm. But, buddy, what'd your notes say? Oh, well, the notes, I, they're just ideas I had during the thing. Uh, oh. My number one my number one was a uh, thought about, as far as people being, just sort of generally, we don't consider a lot of the people we know as racist, and probably because a lot of them aren't. But I imagine being a, min- a minority in the United States it's a hundred percent evident who is a racist when they're talking to you. Like as a white person, I talk to white people. There's no, there's no advantage to revealing that you're a racist in front of me, especially because it's socially stigmatized. And so I'll never hear about it. But then, you know, if one out of 10 people are racist and you're, they're talking to a minority, probably, probably the uh, person would be able to pick out who it is. Because you know they don't feel the, they probably would not feel the need to hide it from them, so, right? And that's I, I think that makes for a really like that would make for a really weird experience as a white person, and there is no, uh, there's no situation that's even similar for us. It's not like we meet ever. It's not like we meet somebody and, and just randomly they that person hates us for no reason, right? And I, that's got to be a that's got to be a wild experience in a bad way. I mean, on top of that, it's like the the family turmoil that goes on. Like uh, she mentioned, her mom asking her if she um, didn't like being like Chinese. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've never been asked, "Are you upset that you're white?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, but I mean, like just trying to imagine like there's got there's so many other conversations that have to be happening in households that white families just never experience like i, mm-hmm. I, I, I maybe i'm wrong okay mm-hmm. but for the most part all and again i'm just i'm just speaking from my own experience like my experience is like in a white household it's just it, drama is what what you talk about. You don't mm. you don't talk about um, racial stigmatisms toward toward white people, you know. Right. That's yeah. not something that's brought up. And there's there's just there's got to be so there's probably so much more with um different ethnic ethnic ethnicities families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and so I guess what else I have here is uh, I'm glad 
I'm glad she was better offhanded with the con- uh, with the uh, with the disclosures than we are naturally. Yeah. <laughs> because I, she kept on saying like, obviously I don't talk talk for everybody, and I guess sort of, for us it's just obviously this is just our opinions. It's not like we're speaking for anybody. I speak for everybody. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, I think it's an important distinction to say that, you know, I don't speak for anybody. And by, if anyone claims to do that, I I, I just, I... There's an immediate problem. (laughs) Well, it calls to mind people like, and this might, Candace Owens, who's just like, uh, black people, this, or you are this, or we need to do this. And it's like, you don't speak for everyone and so stop it you're doing yeah you're doing a disservice to people who actually suffer under conditions like these by speaking for them and saying that you are their voice like right it's just that's that's the weakest just form of like tribe just tribal get on my side or you're or you're not important sort of stuff right um and all the at the end all the uh racist things that were said to her i i can't uh, i can't imagine having the audacity to say some of those things do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I don't think... it. It's probably not in de- audacity. It's probably ignorance. Like, you don't know that this is... A, that this will be a response to this thing. Not like ignorance in a bad way. Just like you literally do not know the effect your words have whenever you say something like that. Right, and... Oh, here was another thing. So, like... They have to deal with two stigmatisms. Not all of them, but some of them i imagine because like imagine being called like fat or something like Mm -hmm. being made fun of i'm gonna call the standard way okay Mm -hmm. being called fat being made fun of um i don't know you're short this and that but then on top of that you have being made fun of because of your ethnicity because of what you look like because of where you come from Mm -hmm. there it's stacked on and that's, that was something I didn't think about until we were talking to her. I was like, there's even a double stack there, too. Not just, like, not just the in-the-household things. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. I don't know. I don't know. Not to, not to steer this too hard, but I only had one more thought. Yep, go ahead. Um, so it's sort of the cult... The, Cultural appropriation is a thing that gets thrown around a lot, and I'm really glad we got to uh, drill in on it, because I sort of, I, I thought I was going crazy by see- seeing some things and being like, uh, people calling it cultural appropriation, and I just like can't see it. And I know, like, I, I know it's a... Do you have an example of... Um, well, I, I'm sure there's... Uh, I, I don't want to get too deep into this, but I'm sure there's people who, um, who, as far as like, um, you know, you're not supposed to eat this food because you're not this ethnicity or something. Mm -hmm. And 
I, I, I would want to find an article to link to that. But it, that that being an extreme example, but it, and it just really depends on who's drawing the line. Um, you know, like Rachel was saying, like some people are really upset about it, and you know, uh, about the dress thing, and uh, I, I think. And whenever the line isn't clear, it's really hard for people on the receiving end of that to be like, so so what am I allowed to do? Like, should we shut down all Asian food restaurants or should we mm-hmm. stop, uh, you know, can white people no longer listen to rap music or something like that? And, uh, and because of that, because there's that misunderstanding, I think a lot of people just sort of like demonize it and they're just like, and it becomes one of these like uh uh political correctness like it becomes one of those words where it's like it's a signal to some people that they can immediately stop taking you seriously Mm -hmm. like because political correctness for me it's like that's important because you're taking awareness of the people around you and what may or may not offend them and whenever but whenever you say that to a certain group of people they're just like oh you're just a whatever you're just a shill or a baby or whatever and i i sort of think that's what happened to that's what happened to the word cultural appropriation but i sort of came up with you know what a what a true uh at least in my mind what i made the situation of true cultural appropriation to be it would be like you know to take your you're a christian person or something it would be like someone buying one of those pieces of the cloth that they claim uh, Jesus wore whenever he was crucified and then like just wearing it around uh-huh. like because she was she was talking about like you know uh, some situations you would wear that and so like you know it's like take one of your holiest uh, just I don't know again I don't know claim to know if it's religion religious or not but you know take you you wear a holy garment and then just like start doing go to the prom in it and it's like that's not it that's not what it was used for and you're using it is an affront to the belief we have and mm. i and with people just sort of disregarding the word i think it really does a disservice to the people who are really trying to preserve um certain cultural aspects like that right. i don't think anyone tries to put their shoes in because everyone's like oh you know if you everyone thinks american culture is just like oh if you want to own a gun and do whatever, go ahead and own a gun, and I'm not going to feel like you culturally appropriated anything, but, like, you know, what if I, again, the religious aspect for me, I could imagine a ton of situations in which you can take a religious part of, religious cultural object in the American mind and completely just bastardize it, and you could make a lot of people mad by doing that, and I think that would be a clear a sign of cultural appropriation right but i don't think that's what people think of whenever they hear the word anymore right at least now i mean you said earlier in the podcast you're you're glad you're seeing like some action being taken at least mm-hmm. now we're we're i feel like we're trying to be more aware of everybody's situation and what's going on mm-hmm. and like that's that's why we had this conversation in the first place. It was to learn, and I feel like that was pretty much accomplished. Mm. I mean, there's still okay. a lot more to it than just that, but... Mm-hmm. 
I yeah. agree. Uh, well, I probably don't want to make this part too long either. Yeah, I, th- I think that's about it. <laughs> All right. All right. Awesome. See you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the J&J Connection podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. They're available wherever you get your podcasts from. And hopefully I'll be back again. For a third time, yes. And don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Instagram at J&J Connection Podcast. Twitter at J&J Connection P01. Facebook at J&J Connection Podcast. And email us at J&J Connection 95 at gmail.com. Also, Jesse won't accept my facts of the day because they are too science-based. Hashtag, where's my science at?